on a brand new episode of Hello Ross. SNL's Bowen Yang stops by to say, Well, I remember the first laugh was at like Bible camp. There was just an opportunity and a skit for an Austin Powers impression. And uh-huh. I, I, I went in, I did it, and it, it killed. And I, I didn't understand what was happening, but I was like, I loved that. What, What's that about? All that and more on a brand new episode of Hello, Ross. And welcome to the program, everybody. Hi, big day. Bowen Yang from SNL. I mean, I I love SNL. I remember the very first time I ever saw it, I was staying with my aunt and uncle. I was probably, I mean, too young to stay up till midnight, probably like um, 11, 12. And they lived in Seattle, and I grew up in the farm town, like an hour north of Seattle. And so when I would go down to see them, it'd be like, oh, we're going to the city. So I went. They took me to, like, a restaurant, and I got to order a a, a Coca-Cola, which, you know, my mom was always like, that's where they get you with the beverages. That's where they get you. Costs $2 for a Coke. So we never ordered a beverage. But my my aunt and uncle, they were like, go ahead, order a beverage if you want. (laughs) It was a bomb. And then, you know, when we got back to their apartment, uh, you know, they turned on like the news and I was like, oh, my God, it's late. And then after the news, I was still awake. You know, after the news, this show came on and they they kind of like paid extra attention. They like, oh, got really comfortable on the couch and they turned the volume up with the remote control. And I was like, what do we want? One, it's midnight and I'm awake. How cool is this? And then two, you know, what is this? What are we gathering around for? And they watched and I didn't quite. I didn't quite understand what was going on, but they were laughing, like, hysterically. And so I just sort of like, <laughs> I didn't get the humor, but I got the situation. This was a funny show. This was what it grown-ups did, you know? And so when I was, like, old enough, I would stay up every single Saturday night, and I would watch SNL. It just, I think anybody who ever wanted to be, you know, like in comedy growing up, watch this show because it was like, oh, those are the ones doing it. Those are the funniest people. And then what I started realizing is that everybody who was on that show would eventually, you know, leave the show and become like a movie star or have a sitcom or they'd be the next big thing, you know? I also noticed there was nobody uh, gay, <laughs> nobody like me on SNL. It just like, I didn't relate. So that's why when I saw Bo and Yang, join the cast. I was so proud of him, so happy for him. I mean, he's, I don't know, he's younger than me, but I relate to him, you know? He was like the first one. The first guy on that show that was like, yellow, I'm a homo. And it's like he took this show by storm. It felt like overnight, he went from a new cast member who kind of had to prove themselves to being everybody's favorite. He's certainly mine. I love Bowen Yang, so I reached out and said, would you come on the show? Would you say, hello, Ross? And he said, absolutely. So when we come back from Saturday Night Live, one of the biggest stars right now, I got to tell you, in the world of comedy, he's always nominated for Emmys. He's nominated for everything for Saturday Night Live. He's a movie star now, and we've got him. It's Bowen Yang. 
What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Hello, Ross. Oh, hello, Bo and Yang. Oh, I'm so happy to talk to you. I'm very happy to talk to you. And is this is this weird that I can't even disclose too much about the last time we interacted oh we can God. leave that out oh, well we i'll just we can out. say this much it was not on grinder i no. am a married man <laughs> I uh, but, would, we, mm-hmm. but what but what well i just wanted we did work together somewhere on a marvel film i've said too much <laughs> oh my god i wish it was a marvel film but you know we, we did work on something we can't talk about but we'll tell eventually we will tell everyone but i i loved you i have loved you since before i ever met you did you know this I, I well at now I do, but I feel like it took us interacting in a very you know nice earnest way, and I love earnesty and earnestness. I don't know what the noun is, but um, uh, I got to tell you earnosity. There it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I got to tell you that I loved you before I met you. Much in the much in the Backstreet Boys way, or no? Is that <laughs> is that Backstreet Boys? No, that's um Savage Garden. It's Savage Garden. Savage Garden in in a in a in a boy band kind of way, but. Let me tell you, I want to give you a little background, if you don't mind. Um, I heard of you before I met you uh, from Cecily Strong, who's a friend of mine, who was singing your praises. And then I see, and this is when you were a writer on SNL, and then I see you on SNL, and I remember your first day, hearing that you were joining, joining the cast and watching you on it. And then do you remember I sent you a little Instagram note? You did. I remember this very, very well. Mm-hmm. Because I was watching you out there. And I, for starters, just thought, yes, 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 yes. Here is a hilarious gay man on SNL who knows how to find the light and find the laugh. This is exactly what we need. And I was so proud to see you on there. So I just sent you a little note saying, you know, keep up the good work. Uh, It really took my breath away. And I, I got to tell you how, you know, growing up, uh, we would watch Jay Leno as a family and um, sort of one of my own, one of my parents only touchstones culturally to like American pop culture. And and it was just incredibly powerful to see you there and to have it be this thing where like everyone understood that like, you know, that you were being the funny person by virtue of just being funny. And I know that sounds so weird, but it's like, you know, you, like you, being on that show was just really, really special for us. And um, I, I, it's one of those very emotional sort of cultural things for me where um, I cannot separate it too much. I can't speak enough about how important it is to me. And I feel like it's, you're sick of it at, at this point. I feel like I've told you too many times. No, well, I, I, I'll never get sick of it, but I, I am grateful <laughs> for it. But it's, I, what I, what I want to say, though, is that, like, you told me that. And that means so much to me because that was kind of the point. You know, that was, that was it was ever present in my mind 
to be the example that I didn't, I didn't have growing up. And I, and I think about you and I think I was why spiritually I was so connected to you when I first saw you in SNL, because I was just like, you know, I, I, I understand what you were going through. And I think about you as a little kid. I mean, how much older than am I than you? I'm, I'm 42, 43. How old are you? I'm, th- I'm about to turn 32. Okay. So, okay. So I'm 10 years older. So uh, when I was 21 on the Tonight Show, Tonight Show at 21, you were like 11. 11, watching with 10 your or 11. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And your parents were not so, were they not so great about you coming out at first? They weren't. They were pretty awful about it, but for reasons that um, I don't necessarily, that I, that I, that I understand that are totally irrational to me, especially it's as an adult. It's cultural stuff, right? It's cultural stuff. And, um, you know, they, they, they're two scientists. And so they kind of tried to, I think, problem solve or engineer something that they thought mm-hmm. was like, you know, a problem. I mean, they, these were two people who like moved to this country and didn't speak the language, had to sort of like really pound the pavement in every way to like make a life for themselves and for their kids. I mean, uh, and then you have this thing where you have this piety towards your parents. Like, and it's, it's a very Asian term, filial piety. It's like, you know, um, kind of looking up to your parents in that way that everybody, that every, I think every culture has in some way, but mm-hmm. it's pretty particular in Asian cultures, I think. Yes. And um, anyway, it was, it didn't go great when I came out to them. And so it was, Oh, we're great now. We're great. Isn't that amazing? It's wonderful. And, you know, I, um, yeah, I, it, it took, I never thought I would get to that place though, because I, I it really was pretty, I was being pretty fatalistic about it the whole time. And then, um, like two years ago, my mom just asked me in the car, we picked up groceries and she was like, are you dating anyone? Like she never asked me if I had dated anybody in the past, um, <gasps> of any humongous. gender. Yeah, uh, but yeah, but like the implication was she was like, are you dating any men? She didn't ask, she didn't really gender, specify the gender of the question, but like it was pretty, it's it's those little moments too. Like it it didn't take like a significant watershed thing, but it just took like a small everyday moment like that to really. What do you do when you, after all that journey with your parents, you know, your 11 year old watching a gay guy on TV thinking like, oh, I could do that. And then, then you do it. Uh-huh. And then your parents are asking you, like, just something as simple as, you know, are, are you dating anyone? But for you, did you just melt down in the car when she asked you that? I kept it together. But it, I, I, I just, I remember it just sort of being this very somatic thing of, like, my whole body kind of, like, whatever the opposite of, like, sees is. Like, I just kind of, like, opened up. I just was like, wow, I never, like, you hold on to this tension your whole life. And um, anyway, we're great now. We're great now. But, yes, at the time, it was tough and it was seeing people like you who um, were driving the entertainment and the humor in something that I think probably had some sort of like subliminal effect on them too, where I feel like, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I'm seeing them this weekend and I feel like, I feel like if I, I feel like I, if I mention you to them, I feel like they'll, they'll really perk up and. and Oh, that's so cute. But I'll I'll let you know. Well, and you very astutely picked up on on something that I was trying to do back then, which was like, you know, let let myself be the joke a little bit, but have control by the end to show that like we are powerful. We can take ourselves not so seriously, but we can still be the victor by the end. You know, if we're we're funny enough, we can earn it. Were you funny as a kid? I thought I was. I feel like I came from, so we moved from Canada to Colorado when I was about nine. Um... And it kind of was the only way to like really ingratiate myself to like the kids as a new kid, as this like, I don't know, this this pretty um, 
I, I don't know. I, I think I came in hot in the fourth grade, and people were like, "Who the hell is this guy?" <laughs> what were you like as a fourth grader? Oh, I wish I, we were. I wish we would have gone to school together. We would have been know. best friends. What were you like? Um, well, isn't that like the thing that like I feel like all gay men like say this to each other? Like, I I wished we had like gone to school together. Like, I, I wish we had each other. Um, but what I was like, I was um, I was just uh, I was just pretty goofy, but I. I but I remember at one point in the sixth grade, someone really tried to like knock me down a few pegs, and they were like, "You're not that funny, Bowen, but you have your moments." And there was this oh really God. mean girl who lived in the neighborhood, and she was just—I think that was her identity—was that she was kind of like she she knew how to like really just I don't know dress you down on something, and then she, she was sounds like, kind of fabulous. I kind of love her. <laughs> I I kind of right? Rebecca Melton. If you're out there, no, I I I adore <laughs> Rebecca. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she, I, but, and so I had this like weird identity crisis, like in middle school where I was like, I guess it's a bad thing to try to be funny. Like it's a bad thing to like ham it up or like really, um, go for the laugh in a way that is like, that feels performative. Like I, I feel like I had that sense of like, oh, being sort of, being sort of like un fettered in your like queerness i didn't know these were the words and terms at the time but i mm -hmm. feel like i knew to like really kind of dial down this part of me that i didn't really have a have a grasp on and i um, think that's yeah. really that's really insightful you know what i mean i think even as kids we realize like like uh, who we are you know because if you can think back to you as a fourth grader don't you kind of feel like inside like the same totally oh my gosh yes yeah, yes but the difference the difference is as a kid like you're just absorbing the emotional environment that you're in and you're just a pure sponge and you're taking everything in because you don't, you haven't built up the filters yet to mm -hmm. like, I don't know, like not let in the bad stuff or whatever. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And then we have to figure out like how we go forward, like how we, how we want to go forward. So you just were innately funny, but then, you know, Rebecca's telling you you're not so funny. And then, you know, maybe you, you, you never really occurred to us at like fourth grade or whatever, that we could go down a path of comedy for like a profession. So where did you go? You, you didn't go through comedy first. Like you went to school for other things, right? I did. I did. But I should say that in high school, um, thank goodness we had this great teacher uh, who was performing at this theater downtown, this comedy theater in downtown Denver. He was the assistant director there, but he was also the my calculus teacher um, and was very good as good at math as like as like, um, you know, like a textbook Asian. But I but he <laughs> but, but I also was like I, I also like loved comedy so much. And the improv team at the school was pretty just had a nice like. I don't know, um, prestige to it, I, I guess. There, like, you, everyone could do drama club, but only the really funny, talented people could do improv. Okay, um, yeah, true, by the way, true. So, well, yeah, I mean, just structurally at, at the school, it was like that. And so his name's Adrian Holguin. I still keep up with him. I love um, that. Really changed my life. And How uh, so? Well, because I got on the improv team, and uh, he would have us perform downtown, like, by ourselves, without, he would, like, he would say, like, okay, once a month, you guys have this, like, free set, this slot at this theater called the Bovine Metropolis Theater. And I didn't understand the name for a while, but Bovine Metropolis, so Cowtown. Cowtown oh, okay. Theater. Yeah. Cowtown Theater. Okay, makes sense. Kind of okay, clever. Kind of clever. Yeah. Mm -hmm, Denver, mm -hmm. Denver people think Denver's a Cowtown. But um, <laughs> anyway, I would, like, I, I didn't realize, like, the value of doing 
really bad improv as a 15 year old and bombing <laughs> as a 15 year old. But um, did you get your first adult. laugh there? Like, do you remember the first time you had yeah. an audience actually in I unison laughed first... at something you said? Well, I remember the first laugh was at like Bible camp. And it was, <laughs> it was just, it was just like a one-off thing that we did for, well, not a one-off thing, but like we did it for a few years, but it wasn't like super evangelist. It was just kind of like, you know, you come and you hang out with the other Chinese kids in the area and it was, it was quite nice. Um, and there was just an opportunity and a skit for an Austin Powers impression. And uh -huh. I, I, I went in, I did it and it, it killed. I didn't, I didn't understand what was happening, but I was like, I loved that. What, what's that about? And I was like, what's I must that have been about? Like, yeah. But I must have been in the So that's in your head for going forward. You're like, you're still chasing that. But what did you go into when you went to, when you went to college? Like, what did you college think you were going to go into? I was pre-med. I was, I thought I was going to be a doctor. Um, that sounds I watched so boring. Every I can't even. I'm right. I, right. I am. I, well, I mainlined all the episodes of Grey's Anatomy <laughs> um, and I was like, just identified with Sandra O's character so much that I was like, I oh wanna... yeah, I was like, I want to be that person, but I can't tell if it's the actor or if it's the character. And, um, you know, and so then that kind of the wires got crossed a little bit and I was like, I think I'd be a good doctor. Right. And then I was, I was like good at science, good at math. Um, but then I went to NYU and my heart wasn't really in it the whole time. But the thing that I, the thing that I like put every amount of stock into was to get on the improv team at, at college. So you still had that, that want that was in your head. Yeah. Yeah. It, I think a lot of artists do that when they're like, this is what I'm drawn to. This is, you know, even since you were a kid, like you were drawn to it, but it's like, we can't really do that. Right. Totally. Totally. And <laughs> it was, it was weird to have, it's weird to like, you know, have a fallback or it's weird to like, try to like build your life around like this weird insurance policy that I think you've been told your whole life like is good. Like it's very, I think the reason why a lot of immigrant families want their kids to work in like the sciences is because it's like somewhat objective that it's pretty on the rails that like the career paths are pretty determined by like all these weird, these not weird markers, but these markers that are pretty concrete. Whereas in showbiz, it's like you get, there are no goalposts. There are no, no right. yard lines I'd, or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And even when you're winning, you can be losing next week, right? It's, it's just you're always sort of chasing it. But it's so worth yeah. it because it's it, it's it's so fun. And I have to say, you're so good at it. You're so funny. I mean, I watch SNL and when you come on, it's like, that's I'm not leaving the room. I don't care how bad I have to pee or anything. I just, I need, I'm no, not causing. Pee, Ross. No, I'm not, I'm holding it for you because it's like, you always make me laugh. I'm wondering, when was the first time, do you remember? I remember the first time I saw SNL. When was the first time you saw it? The first time I saw it was, gosh, it was like 99. I think like it must have been like John Goodman hosting or something. But this was during, yeah. I forgot who the host was, but it was during like, Sherry O'Terry, Will Ferrell, Chris Kattan, Tracy Morgan, like that era. What a great era of SNL, right? An, an amazing era of SNL. And I was watching it at the same time. So my Saturday nights were always Matt TV on Fox, then SNL on NBC. And uh -huh. I had the bunny ears. My parents didn't let us have cable growing up because um, they thought it would like corrupt our minds or whatever. They might have been right. But then I, but yeah. we had the bunny ears and then I would have to like, we got Fox better than we got NBC. And so... <laughs> I got a clearer picture of Mad TV than I did SNL. SNL was so, if I still had the, the VHSs of the SNL 
tapes. Like it would be, it would be such a weird trip, but I would bring those to school. Like I would like, there would be, there'd be teachers at school who liked SNL as much as so I So you did. would record it? I would record it. And like, no one thought, like, cause like no one, like, I, th- I feel like the casual viewer back then even did not think to like record on cassette SNL episodes as they aired. Do you know what I mean? Totally. But th- what, think about that. Like, think about how meant to be this is like you would record SNL. That's how drawn you just could not help yourself from being drawn to it. And now here, I mean, when you, does that blow your mind to think about that full, like the full circleness of it all? Totally. Totally. I, but if I think too hard about it, then I'm like, I, I probably get like a little too drunk on like destiny or whatever. I start to, I start to feel like this is all like a crazy, sort of like fateful thing and maybe it is but I, I also I feel like that's that's the kind of thing that like kind of drives you crazy if you um convince yourself that it's like this thing that like if, if it's the only thing that you like I like I like I feel like in talking to Kate McKinnon about it like she is she is she had one of the best tenures at SNL of all time and she was she's been saying I think pretty publicly too but to me as a friend she was like it's weird. Like my whole life I wanted to be on the show and now I got to figure out what I want to do after. And it's, it's something that I never thought it's, it's not the domain that I ever like thought in, in my life. And so it I'm is, like, that's the yeah. scary thing about chasing your dreams. Cause then if you, you get it, then, then what do you do? Also, also how does the dream compare to reality? I mean, what is it like on SNL? What is it? What is it a week like, or a day? Like? I mean, what, do you just go to work? Do you have a Do you have a card that like beeps and gets you into Rockefeller yeah. Center? How do you do? Totally. Have we, Russ? Have you ever come to a taping with like Cecily or anything? Never. And I always said Ross, I was you going have to, to come I, uh, anytime you want. You're my guest. Oh my god, I would be so excited. I might have to come for the early one because midnight. It's very. It's That's too fine. late for me. Yeah. Don't worry. Right? So Don't would, worry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's a dress rehearsal, rehearsal, right? That's it. That starts at a cool eight thirty. You're out of there oh. by. 10 hopefully 10 30 that's still latest. gonna be a late night for me but i will do that i will have a cappuccino yes. <laughs> i i would be so honored to see to see how it all works but can you just like quick me like walk me through a week of production like sure what's what's a monday you probably a get monday, sunday off right you get sunday off monday but sunday you're still kind of the ideas are still kind of percolating especially if you're in between shows i mean definitely now as we go back into the premiere as we gear up for the new season like i've been like I haven't been sitting on like a summer's worth of ideas, but I've I've been like my mind's sort of like been jump started in terms of thinking of stuff for the season. Anyway, um yeah. Monday you were you would typically go in Monday before COVID um to do the pitch with the host. And that's where everybody, writers and cast, piles into Lauren's office with the host sitting in the middle of the room. And one by one, Lauren calls your name and you just kind of give like a one-liner premise. Um, of like an idea you have, like uh blah 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 exactly. blah. Exactly. Okay. But it, it, like it my favorite, even... one of my favorite yeah. things you ever did was when you were the, of course, when you were the iceberg from, from Titanic, oh, it's just you. so brilliant. So you go in there and you're like, I have this idea of being the iceberg and he's like a bitchy and like angry about being hit. And sure. Yeah. It's that you can, you can either give like a full on premise or it's more about like making the host comfortable that like they're in good hands in theory. And mm. <laughs> like that, like the ideas are funny and different and varied across all these different writers and cast members. And so like, but it's also just like it's just a way to like get it's Lauren's way of getting us to start thinking of things um, before Tuesday, which is writing night, which is when you sort of stay there, stay in the office for like sixteen hours to like write 
two, three sketches with people. How are you still on to hour 12? How are you, what are you putting in your body to keep the energy going? Are you, is it coffee? Is it diet Coke? What are you doing? Cause that, it's, what is it's, it? it's diet, it's diet Coke, like yeah. just to the head. Um, <laughs> I, I had a Red Bull problem last year. I'm trying to wean off of that. Proud of you. Um, have, Proud have you heard of Celsius, Ross? No, no, wait, it's Celsius. Okay. Celsius is this drink. It's this kind of new kid on the block. And it's got great flavors, and Meryl Streep loves it because Jonah Hill introduced it to her on the set of Don't Look Up. I love that you know this story. <laughs> I know this story. What is it like? Scissorp? Is Meryl Streep drinking Scissorp? <laughs> it's it's Scissorp, but for 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 working actors. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's 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 great. And I I. I uh, it was my companion this summer at work on sets. And so I feel like I will try to bring that energy into this season. Understood. So, so Tuesday's writing. And then uh-huh. w- what do you do on Wednesday? Wednesday is the read through. It's kind of, the t- it's basically a table read, but um, you're reading through 40 some odd sketches written by everybody. And, so and how many make air? 12. Oh my God. So you, it's a it, lot. Yeah. It's like a lot of broken dreams, right? You're presenting everything and then they whittle it down. Exactly, exactly. And it's like, so, you know, 12 to 40, that's like a, it's like a, about a quarter, it's like a 25% sort of survival rate after Wednesday. But a lot of the sketches that get picked also tend to be sketches that are, that lean more towards the experienced writers. And so some writers will have multiple sketches picked, whereas the new writers don't have any sketches picked. So it's very skewed in these interesting ways. Um, and feelings is get hurt on Wednesday. I was going to yeah. say, is it hard not to take it personally because you're you're throwing your all yourself into it? It's you. It's incredibly hard. It's incredibly hard because, and no matter how many like, no matter how many buttresses you put up in your mind to like fortify yourself from that. Yeah, it's from just the rejection. Find that word for me, buttress. Buttress. Okay, so like um, in Gothic architecture, it's a staple of Gothic architecture. But it's like you know, at Notre Dame, it's like there's like um an uh, an apse or something in the cathedral, and then the buttresses are like the diagonal things that like keep it stable. You're sorry. gonna have to use much simpler words. Okay? <laughs> I'm sorry, but buttress. I'm writing it down. Ross, buttress. Ross, you're a smart person. But I'm buttress so- sounds <laughs> sounds like a filthy drag queen. You know what I mean? Like she does things. She does things. Okay, gotcha. I'm writing this word down. Okay, so it's hard. It hurts. But then, but then we're at Friday, and what's Friday all about? Friday. So I mean, the whole the 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 engine that the show runs on is like made up of like ambition and sleep deprivation. So you're like you're so you're so like lost in your own adrenaline throughout the week, but you're, but it's like, gosh, I haven't formed like a, a good enough analogy of the, for this yet, but it's like, you're, you're barely staying afloat because every, because physiologically your body is trying to drag you down and saying, this is not good. This is not okay. Like you haven't slept in days or, you know, you've been stressed out and, and then it's just you're you're white knuckling it until Saturday when you go in for rehearsals, or the run through I should say at noon on Saturday. And then once the cameras go on at dress rehearsal, even your body just starts to like shoot right back up. Like the adrenaline starts to come back in, and your body is like in it, and you're and it just it feels crazy, but it feels great. But it's also so intense and so emotional. And then so then by the time dress rehearsal ends and sketches get cut. For air, then it's that's like the ultimate emotional sort of endpoint where you feel like either you feel like the biggest glory you've ever felt in your life, or 
you feel completely, completely depressed. This sounds like awful until it's wonderful. I mean, I feel like you're describing anal sex is what you're doing. It's it like, is it really, very anal. It's <laughs> very anal. It's like it is, it's a, it's a very painful experience, but it sounds yes. like it's worth it in the end. Absolutely. It's, yeah. it's very, very similar. And um, <laughs> I've heard, I, I've read about it. <laughs> this is fascinating. You know, I mean, like, yeah. but I, I think that is the creative process, you know, and when you describe where you get to on Saturday. And so when we're watching the, because even the draft, the dress rehearsal things are cut, right? So mm-hmm, when we're mm-hmm. watching the show, I mean, I'm just thinking about that six day process, what we're finally getting on the show that is after like toiled t- hard work, <laughs> broken <Yeah>. dreams, blooded <laughs> fingers as you, you know, pull yourself to the finish line. And when you finally get in that spot, like think about how far you had to go to get your moment, like that Titanic uh, segment, to get that on the air and then to have it work and to have that like work and be buzzy and be out in the zeitgeist. And do you feel like you won, that you that you did something? What does it feel like? It feels amazing for like, in the immediate aftermath, it feels amazing for like a second. And then I remember... Oh, we might have had a we might have gone on hiatus after that show, but I feel like Martin Short has this amazing saying about it that like I think everybody knows at SNL now to be true that is that like you can like touch the sky on Saturday one show and then it all resets Monday for the next show where like you you start back at zero with like maybe no ideas or you're working on something from the ground up like it like the, like the fact that it resets every week is both the beautiful thing about it and also the thing that makes it feel so ephemeral that makes it feel so like slippery you know and so but like but with something like the iceberg like that's something that like um i still i still get really nice things like people still say really nice things about it and that's the kind of thing where like it takes time to sort of understand that it, it, it sort of um that people sort of like it in a very specific way. And that took a long time. No, 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 no. Let's use the word. It becomes iconic. You know, things on this show become iconic. Things everybody remembers. Debbie Downer, Chris Farley, the, uh, every, that you just remember. That is one of the, it was one of those instantly iconic things. I, I have to say, like the way you describe being on SNL and you talk about like Kate McKinnon, for example, having a great tenure. And then, you know, she, she could have gone on for 10 more years Definitely. But, but she, of course, but she, but she left because it sounds to me like this is like battle. Like it's like almost like a, in a professional athlete whose body gets beat up. Can't, is this sustainable for a long time or, or, or can you only be on a show like SNL for a, a certain amount of time before you just get exhausted? Before you, yeah. Before you exhaust yourself. I mean, Keenan Thompson's been doing it for almost 20 years, but I think he is someone who's developed, he's, he's been doing it since he was a child he's developed such a good sense of boundaries and wellness around the job since before he started working there. Like he's a very special unicorn in terms of like someone who can do it for a very long time. Um, But I think, and I'm sure, and I'm sure Kate really could, like you said, Kate could have, um, I don't think I have it in me to do it that long. Well, that I, was my I, question. With everything yeah. you've got going on from Fire Island, Bros, Nora from Queens, everything you're filming and doing, how long can you be on SNL? How long can this I, magic continue? I would love to do it as long as possible. I just don't know. I, I really can't. Th- you can't think that far ahead at that show. Uh-huh. Um, you just have to be in the moment. You just have to do it. 
And I know that sounds like a like a cop out answer, but kind of it's it's part of the culture there. And like Lauren also, you know, anytime someone famously, anytime someone wants to leave or or, or tells him that they want to leave, that, that you know they plan on leaving the next season or whatever, Lauren always goes, "Well, we'll see what you we'll see what you say in August." Like he mm-hmm. he always goes like your your minds change like this place has this weird effect on people like you never you cannot predict or plan for like the way you will emotionally depart this place and so i i definitely can't either if if if, like that def that must apply to me like i'm not i cannot be the exception to that no i i and i know one day the day will come but you i believe you're just getting started you are so incredible from the first day that's why i reached out to just tell you, I see what you're doing. You know, you, you're, and I talk about it on this show, what, what people's superpower is. Your superpower is, is always finding the laugh. You, oh. you always know how to do it. And even if like, I see you doing it, like if the line is, if the line is there and it doesn't quite <laughs> hit, you do one movement or something that gets the laugh. You know how to find it. You, you just have this innate gift from the great beyond and not that Aww. many people, but you, you, you have it. Ross, that means everything from you just because you, I think you understand the comedy in a way that I feel like a lot of, um, that I, I, I feel like I really respect and, and, all every time you give a note, um, I'm just gonna bring up Drag Race. Like every time, every episode you give a comedy note on in Drag Race, I just it just resonates. It hits, and I always turn to like the person I'm watching it with, and I go, "God, Ross is so fucking good at this." Like Ross Aww. gets it. He he can. Thank you. He he just he 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 has the read on it. That's so. That's so hard to have. Even as a comedian, like I feel like I have a hard time sort of pinpointing what makes something work or not. And I don't know. I feel like you're you're such a good mind about comedy and you always have been. And I've respected that so much. Thank you. It's not about me, it's about you. Uh, but I gotta uh, t- I gotta tell you every time I every time I see you. <laughs> I'm not the only one who has questions for you. It's time for our final five. This is when the the viewers, the listeners get to ask you some questions. Up first, it's Sarah who says, What's been the most surprising thing about becoming famous? Because it's only been a few years that you've been like mega famous on TV. Everyone knows you. Uh huh. Uh huh. What's the What's the weirdest thing? Um, she said most surprising thing, or just most surprising what's you didn't expect anything. I didn't expect. I thought it would be. I, I thought like whatever recognition I get would be pretty contained to like the U.S., m- maybe Canada. That's it. But like. Um, I was just doing something in Iceland and like the, the gate attendant who like checked me in, like got really like excited and wanted, wanted a picture. And I was like, what, what are you, this Icelandic woman, what are you, what, like, how do you know about me? That's, that's like, I feel like the reach is so like, it's, it's not, it's not to say it's like far, far and wide reaching, but I feel like it's like, it's unexpected the places that like, I don't know, um, that, that it comes from. That's all. I get that when we shoot drag race in like Silmar, in the next to like a, a sex store and a subway sandwich shop. And then it's like, you know, you can't go in, across the world. They watch it. You know, right, it's, it right. is fascinating. The reach they have. Hey, Julian wants to know who do you think is the funniest SNL cast member in the history of the show? That's, that's impossible to impossible. say. Okay. Who's some I of mean, your favorites? Why don't okay, we say that? I'll, I'll go. Perfect. I'll go down the list. Um, Gilda, Jane. Um, I really loved Aykroyd. Um, I mean, 
Eddie Murphy, Chris Farley, Tina Fey, Maya Rudolph, Anna yeah. Gosteyer, Rachel Dratch, Sherry O'Terry, just so many people. And then, and, and then, and, and to say nothing of Cecily Strong, who oh I God. think is, she really is one of the all time greats. I agree with you. I, you know, and there's too many to list, and I know you can yeah, get in trouble yeah. by not for not mentioning some. But so, like, oh, there's so many. Yeah. But can I tell you, you're going to be on that list. You know, in 20 years, and somebody no, asks you, Ross, will be, no, you'll be no, on someone no. else's list. John wants to know: Are you dating anyone? <laughs> I'm not, and because because I I'm just coming off of a love bombing situation, Ross. I don't know if you've been love bombed. This before. is so funny. I just had a conversation about love bombing. Tell the audience what love bombing is. So love bombing is. Maybe a relatively new term for, like, I think an age-old phenomenon where someone just, like, bombs you with love. Like, kind of, like, comes in really hot really quickly. Um, and I think I experienced that this summer. And I kind of got swept up in it because I don't think I... Because I think for the longest time I was, like, wanting to be pursued. And I feel like love bombing can be mistaken for, like, oh, like, this person's interested. Like, I might as well affirm that. And, like, why wouldn't I accept that? sort of attention and but then it sort of starts to get really twisty and a little bizarre depending on where it's coming from and I think I it's and that's like, basically like my yeah it's a lot of love all at once and then my friends experiences have been like then they kind of bounce after a minute so you're kind of left like yeah. what? Huh? how know? did you and your husband meet I, did, I, did I ask you this I don't know that you did so we met in Puerto Vallarta on a, a rooftop uh. At like nine in the morning, because this is that's my peak hour. You understand? I wake up about nine five, in the morning. Five, six. Nine right. in the morning is my the strongest time you will get me. And um, <laughs> uh, I went and, went and got a breakfast burrito with my best friend. And we went up to the the rooftop pool, the hotel we were staying at. No one else was up there. Me and my friend Nikki having uh -huh. this breakfast burrito. Uh, and Wellington over there, and I was like, I clocked him. I'm like, who that? And he's like super smart, you know. He's like uh, director of curriculum for schools, doctor of education. He's reading an Ooh. actual book, like an, not even on a tablet, wow. like an actual book. Sure. And um, I introduced myself, and and right away it's like we had met forever. And and my, my friend Nikki said to me then, still breakfast burrito in hand, said, "You just met your husband." Isn't oh, that crazy! I know. Wow, okay. amazing. Do you remember what book he was reading? Oh, some awful. <laughs> you know educational like um <laughs> awful intellectual awful, awful. nasty <laughs> i would have been reading like nancy drew you know like something like <laughs> or like uh you know like a really smart teenage girl that's what i would have been reading yes but yes. he was reading something actually for smart people um not that teenage <laughs> girls aren't smart but you understand you understand what i'm saying sure, uh, susan sure. says you have so many celebrities come through snl who is one that you a celebrity in general that you are dying mm -hmm. to meet because now you can hobnob you know <laughs> Oh, I don't know. I so don't who are you know. hoping to bump into at Studio 54? <laughs> I feel, oh my God. I feel like you have sat next to every queer luminary, like in history. Um, almost. almost, right? Well, I was, okay. I feel like everybody's white whale is Cher. I feel like in our, in yeah. our world, like, it's like everybody just wants to be in the same room as her. I just want to be in the same room as her. I don't want to, I don't have to talk to her. I don't have oh, really? to. I would love to, um, but I just, I just want to like know what it's like to like have someone who, speaking of air in the room, like have like suck it all out, you know, like yeah. Just, just, just have you just, thought about if you were in the room with Cher and she approached you, what your first sentence would be, and do you want to workshop it? Yeah, I, I know it, and it's it's the worst sentence in the world, and it's the most obnoxious fan girly sentence in the world, but it doesn't have to do what with me. It? Okay, go. 
my formerly homophobic dad's favorite song is Believe by Cher. Is, is, is Believe. <laughs> I think that's a perfect lead in. I would really? just start okay. singing. I would start singing Dark Lady at her. I, oh that's my, my favorite Cher song. And it would go downhill, downhill from there. Uh, final question. Okay. Final question from Angela. This is a great question, I have to say. It, she asks, if you and Ross did a buddy cop movie together, what would the title be? <laughs> what would it be? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. I had an idea. I, if you want me to throw You have an out. idea? Please. I do. This is, I, I'm terrible with titles, but yes, t- tell me, tell me. Imagine if the co- the title was just Cuff em. <laughs> Yeah. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> Cuff it. And, it's, and right. it's our joint tagline. We say it together at the same time. One, two, three. Cuff, Cuff them. them. <laughs> we were both too polite and let it, let the other person leave. I know. But, I want, yeah. Uh, uh, well, listen, I, um, I told you at the beginning I loved you before I met you. I, I have one final question for you. You know, I just bought a house on Long Island. Congrats. My husband and I did. Thank you so much. I, believe it or not, have never been to Fire Island. Wow. So my question is, will you take me to Fire Island? Please come to Fire Island. And truly, Ross, you just just bring like bring the Palm Springs energy mm-hmm. that you carry so well and just like <laughs> throw it in the trash because Fire Island is like it's totally <laughs> not the same thing. And it's gonna give you it's it's not even it's such a, it's it's apples and oranges. I love Fire Island, but I go to Palm Springs and I'm like, wow, this is in so, in a lot of ways better and in a lot of ways <laughs> what what am I saying? I'm just basically saying like but j- j- just just come with the Palm Springs energy and like um and just 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 be open to like having that subverted a little bit. That's all. That that's all. Understood. I mean. I'm going to be I'm I'm coming malleable and you can mold yes. me however I should be in Fire Island, De- but the fact that you would definitely. bring me there would be a great honor for me. Listen, I adore you. I love you and I'm so like honored that in the midst of everything, you know, SNL uh, coming up a new brand new season airing of course Saturday nights on NBC <laughs> that you would take your time to come and chat with me. So thank you so much. Anytime, Ross. I love you. You so can much. follow Bowen on Instagram at Faye Dunaway, which is so fuck. It's so funny that your name on Instagram it's is Faye Dunaway. Dumb. Have it, <laughs> what would you do if she came to you and said, "Can I actually have my name back so I can I can be she, Faye Dunaway on Instagram?" Right. She. I've 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 heard through NBC publicists that she knows about the handle and she wants she wants to come on SNL now and uh-huh. confront me on air. Oh my god! Please do this. So, well, I don't want to be. I, I feel like she'll actually kill me. I feel like she will. <laughs> I think she'll slap me to death. I think. Well, she'll, then, then uh... if she does that, just make sure to do it during sweeps, okay? <laughs> yes, I'm happy to do it for the culture. Thank you, <laughs> Bowen Yang. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. And welcome back to the program. A big thanks to Bo and Yang for coming on to say hello, Ross. You know, I'm just so happy to be his friend um, and uh, proud to be a fan. Yeah, I am. I am. I love him. Well, that's time for my happy ending, which is the best thing I've seen all week. This actually comes from People Magazine. We talk about it on the Drew Barrymore show this week, but I loved it so much I had to share with with you. You know, uh, nothing sadder than going to a funeral. You know, I've lost both my parents, uh, um, most of my grandparents and loved ones. It's just so sad, you know. 
I always wish that we could do funerals when we were alive because, um, you know, whether you were serious or funny or interesting or something, your funeral should reflect you. you should, it absolutely should. Mine's going to be a party. Let me tell you something. That. It's going to be a, there's going to be like Liza Minnelli drag queens doing impersonations. It's going to be a real hoot. I hate to miss it. Uh, I'm not alone in thinking that funerals can be a, a little funny and still have our, our, our sense of who we were infused into them. People Magazine reports Jody Paraman sadly died away, died at uh, 81 uh, recently. And uh, her whole family, of course, is so sad. But her granddaughter reports that she says that, you know, in life she was hilarious. And it turns out in death she's hilarious as well because everyone who came to the funeral got a uh, gift bag <laughs> which is a funny idea you know but what did she put in the gift bag well for starters they open it up it's a card with her picture on it and she's got two hands up and she's flipping the bird it says keep in touch and then in the gift bag is a ouija board yep <laughs> keep in touch mofos <laughs> jody i wish i knew you when you were still here but well done, Jody Perriman. That is the very best thing I've seen all week. If you see something that should be my happy ending next week, or if you you want someone that you love to pop on here and say, hello, Ross, well, then just shoot me a note on my social media. I'm hello, Ross, across the board. It's easy to remember. It's the name of the show. <laughs> next week, we got a big one, another big one. Kathy Griffin is stopping by. Ooh, you know there's a lot to talk about with her. Well, she'll be here to say, hello, Ross. Until then, bye-bye. Hey, it's me, Ross Matthews. Thanks so much for listening. It means a ton. Make sure you like us, give us a good review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can find us on video at Cumulus Podcast Network on YouTube. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.